Viking, committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, cultural enrichment, and all-inclusive fares. Discover more at viking.com. Hello and welcome to Money Beat Week. This is Steve Russolillo. We have a jam-packed show this week with Phil Izzo, Paul Vigna, and Eric Holm. A robust jobs report and Warren Buffett's latest move after this. Hi, I'm Lex Friedman. I run my own business called Podlexing. So I know from experience, hiring new employees can be tough. With so many job boards out there, how can you know which one will produce the best talent? Realistically, to fill the position fast and with the perfect candidate, you need to post your job on all the top job sites. And now you can do it with a single click with ZipRecruiter.com. ZipRecruiter.com lets you post to more than 40 job sites at once. ZipRecruiter.com also posts your job on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. Just post once and watch the qualified candidates roll into ZipRecruiter's easy-to-use interface. You can screen applicants, rate them, and hire the right people fast. Try ZipRecruiter free right now and find out why it's been used by over 100,000 businesses. And right now, listeners of this program can try ZipRecruiter for free by going to ZipRecruiter.com slash WSJ. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash WSJ. One more time, to try ZipRecruiter for free, go to ZipRecruiter.com slash WSJ. So the economy added 248,000 jobs in September, a a much better than expected number. The unemployment rate fell to 5.9%, the lowest level since mid-2008. Here's the Labor Secretary, Tom Perez. To put it in a little broader global perspective, the United States in this recovery has put more people back to work than Europe. Japan, and every other advanced economy combined. So we're moving in the right direction, and this latest report is another good indicator of that. And and we're starting to see ripple effects that are positive as well. So, for instance, the childhood poverty rate last year had the largest one-year reduction of any year since 1966. And that's because more people are getting jobs, and they're able to climb out of poverty. Paul Vigna, your immediate reaction. (laughs) I mean, come on. It's, you know, my immediate reaction is... Yeah, what he's saying is is we're doing better than Europe, where unemployment's above ten percent. In the you know, like, who cares? Those economies stink. They're going nowhere. It's you know, yeah. You know what? I'm doing better right now, me personally, than the guy who's in a hospital bed somewhere uptown. What does that mean? Does that tell you anything? No. It tells you you're doing better than him. It tells you, right? It tells you I'm doing better than him. Does it mean that I'm yes. doing well? I mean, I personally am doing well. Everyone, don't worry about me. My health is fine. But uh, I'm just making a point there. So. Yes. That being said, it's a little bit of hyperbole. That being said, it was a good jobs report, right? I mean, well, let's see, Paul. Discuss that. Let's. What do you think about? Do you? What are the uh, dark linings on the silver cloud? (laughs) (laughs) Well, why do we want to start there? Let's start with the good stuff, Phil Izzo. Sure, I'll I'll talk up the good stuff. We we added two hundred forty eight thousand jobs last month, which we were worried about. We talked about uh, last month. that the number was really bad was revised up, so it doesn't look quite as bad. Still doesn't look great, but looks a lot better than it did last month. Those revisions, yeah, 180,000 uh, from 142. From right. yep. And then the month before was revised up to 243 I think the, from 212. The six which month moving average three, is yeah. back around like 220. I mean, like we're, we're, we're looking pretty good. The, the job market, we were worried last month that, it, you know, we, is it a blip? Is it not a blip? Paul wrote about this morning, too. You know, we need to some, some, uh, some idea of whether it was a blip or whether it, you know we were going to be facing more weakness ahead. It looks more and more like it was a blip, which is good news. And it also means that it looks like job growth is continuing to expand. And going into the holiday season, there's a good chance that things will 
continue to improve. The unemployment rate dropped to uh, 5.9%. Part of that was not for great reasons because the unemployment – because people dropped out of the labor force. About 100,000 people dropped out of the labor force. But it was far overwhelmed by the amount of people who found jobs. So it was like a bit of a mix of good reasons and bad reasons. But it was mostly good reasons that the unemployment rate fell. Um, and the the labor force participation rate was dropped again, which is a continuing worry. But overall, the we added more jobs than we expected. The, the recovery was broad-based across – Almost every industry, and the unemployment rate fell to its lowest level since the early the early days of the recession. So that's the good news. What's the bad news? Well, even I know the answer to this. <laughs> Go ahead, Eric Holm. Go I on. mean, wage growth went ticked backward just ever so slightly, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, month to month, it was down right? a penny. And average hourly earnings. A lot of those new jobs are retail jobs, right? Right. right. Yeah. I mean. Those are not good jobs. Yeah, you know, to take what, nothing away from the people doing those jobs, right. they just normally don't pay very much at all. Sure, you can't, you can't support yourself. Well, if you look at if you look at the sectoral breakdown, you, you, there's a lot of retail jobs, there's a lot of food and beverage jobs, but the sectoral break, breakdown is probably has been con- getting continually better and is definitely better than it was. They say that early in the recovery, sometimes things that are added are um, are the low wage jobs and. That we should be seeing a, more of a mix at this point, but you know, professional and business services had a really strong uptick this month too. Um, that includes temp. Yes, that includes temp. Yes, and temp, Sorry, temp workers are also not great. Yeah. But two hundred forty-eight thousand jobs net. That doesn't mean that only two hundred forty-eight thousand jobs were created. It just means that two hundred forty-eight thousand people more found jobs or started new jobs than were. Then right. dropped out of jobs. Actually, millions of people got new jobs this uh, this month. So it's very hard to say, you know, to, to pick on that and say we're, we're totally worried about that. It is definitely the mix is remains something that we have to watch. But you know, when there's a broad based gain like this, it's it's pretty good. Yeah. And you know, it's interesting I've, too to look at the trend because if you just look at the graph of you know the monthly jobs added throughout the year here. Uh, you know, la- last month was certainly a blip, but that was actually revised up now. And so if you look at the overall trend, it's been very, very, very steady for what is normally a very volatile series of economic data. I mean, job- monthly job reports are typically yeah. they swing from, you know, one month to the next. And what we've seen over the past year, maybe even a little bit more than that, is just a very, very steady job growth. And And someone made this point to me earlier today that with all the stuff going on around the world, with Europe's economy in turmoil, with the geopolitical issues in, in Ukraine and, and Russia and Middle East and Hong Kong and everything, the U.S. monthly job report has actually been one of the most consistent things that you can rely on for the, the, the better part of a year, even a little bit more than a year. So yeah, I would think the single best takeaway from this report this morning is that it dispels the notion that August was the beginning of a new, weaker trend. Honestly, I think that's the really that's the this report got us back to where where we have been in terms of job creation. That hundred and forty thousand number has now been erased. It's gone. You don't have to worry about it. We're we're kind of what you just said. We're back to where we were. That that to me is the biggest good takeaway. However, we're back to where we were, and I didn't think where we were was very great. Uh, I still think you see weak 
wage growth. You know, it's, it's running a little bit ahead of official unemployment year over year. That That's not particularly good. Even Janet Yellen said it, it should be much higher at this point in recovery. I think the, the mix of jobs, Phil, I still think a lot of it is low-paying jobs. And I think you, you look at this. You talk about the, you know, the not in labor force number. Uh, which was up, I think it was 1.8 something, almost 1.9 million year over year. That's how many jobs were created year over year. You know, you have as many people leaving the workforce just disappearing well, as finding yeah, jobs. There are also people leaving the labor force because we have a huge baby boom retirement. We also have people who that there's a much higher college intake rate now than there was years ago. There are without I, I don't disagree well, with you, Paul. That, that there is yeah, yeah. there is some cyclical element to this. If you look just at people who are age 25 to 54 who are prime age workers, there still is. Um, more people not in the labor force that should be in the labor force. However, if you look at the trend for working age, this month was not necessarily great, but the trend for the employment to population ratio and the um, and the labor force participation, which is the amount of the population that age who are working or, look, or looking for a job, is trending back up. Um, so I, I, I agree with you, and we should be worried about people dropping out and yada, yada, yada. But a big portion of the people dropping out still remain older people. Um, yes, but my and my bottom line issue is this is regardless of why they're dropping out, whether it is because people are just retiring. And look, if you're retiring, God bless you if you have enough money to retire on. But but my concern is that when you have that many people out of the labor force, it's just is not that number of people who are in the labor force contributing to growth. And if you don't have enough people contributing to growth, we are not going to be able to have a strong, sustainable recovery. And I think you see that in productivity numbers. You see that in um, capacity utilization, which remains, you can't even get to the long-term average. I mean, you still see an economy, yes, GDP looks good some quarters, looks a little less. You still have an economy that is not growing as fast as it can. And part of that is because you just don't have enough people working for whatever the reason is. Well, I mean, I, I don't totally disagree with that. Um, I, I think you're right. I think we want to make sure that people are productive and we, we, you know, we have as many people working as we can. I think that's, that's, a, that's a key to strong growth. But, you know, the, the labor force participation never even reached 63 percent where it is now until the 1970s. And that's because women were entering the workforce. We, we, we had a productive economy with a lot of women staying home for 40 years. Um, I mean, there, there's arguments. There's long-term less demographic global competition. Yeah, too. yeah. I mean, but there's yeah. those yeah. the trends that are affecting us are the trends that are affecting almost everywhere in the world. Um, I mean, it's not like China has a has a population problem that we don't have. Theirs is like actually a hundred times worse. Japan so, too. Um, Europe too. Yes. I, I mean, I, again, I don't disagree with you that there are things to always be concerned about, but I I, I do want to push back a little bit on the idea that we're that we that we are not productive and we can't be. And I know you didn't say we can't be productive, but I think even growth where we've seen it in the last couple of quarters. I mean, actually, last quarter was phenomenal, uh, but only because of a, a bounce back. And mm. this quarter looks pretty good. It looks like you know it might be around three percent. It's it's not fantastic. It's not gangbusters, but it you know it looks a lot better than the rest of the world. That's for sure. Well, and it gets to it gets to this ultimate question of. What is the Federal Reserve going to do? Because you have a situation where, you know, when I look at the trend, I don't see a very great trend. And I know 
When Janet Yellen looks at the trend, she doesn't see a very great trend either, which is why they are still reluctant to to talk about or forget talk about, but to actually raise interest rates. There are people screaming for them to raise interest rates, and they will not do it. And I believe they will not do it because they are not convinced that this economy has yet gotten to a point where it can stand on its own two feet. We so, still so, have zero percent uh, interest rates the underpinning the, the entire have, economy. The question I have is then what what point do you need to get at? To feel comfortable about raising rates, do you need great questions? Do you need to see great questions? Well, here's a funny little. Well, do you need to see three hundred thousand a month for sustainable? And what's a sustainable? I would. I I will. I'm gonna. I'm sorry, Steve. I'm gonna try to answer your question. I'm gonna answer your question a little bit. I know you presented to Paul, but I'm gonna. I want to throw this element in here. I presented to everyone. Um, (laughs) That was for the floor. Thank you. I want to just throw this element in here. It's not jobs that's holding back the Fed on its powder right now. It is. A mix of things. Yes, Paul's right. They're they're worried about they're worried about the jobs and they're worried that there are other issues. But th- this job report actually puts them in a very bad position because it's right. a lot harder for them to it's a lot harder for them to make the excuse that we're not mm-hmm. doing it because the labor market is being held back. Five point nine percent unemployment. We can talk about all the caveats. We already did talk right. about a lot of the caveats about people dropping out of labor force. But five point nine percent unemployment is something that. Last year at this time, they didn't expect to happen till late 2015, and we're here today. Right. Um, so the the jobs part is is a problem for Janet Yellen, and because things are looking stronger, and it's a lot harder to make the argument that jobs is the reason why we need to keep rates so low. On the other hand, inflation is still very very low, and is still way below their target. That's actually a better argument for them. That's the why they can, down. not why they should, though, right? Well, why they can keep rates low? No, it also is why they should because their target is two percent. Their target is not one point five. We are below their target. They they want us to have inflation of. They think a healthy economy chugs along with inflation at two percent. When you are below that, there's an argument to be made that it should be higher. And keeping because we rates, don't have a healthy economy. Well, that's why inflation that's is low. low. Well, inflation is also low for a number of. of External reasons. Energy prices are not low because the United States isn't using energy. Energy prices are low because a lot of the rest of the world is depressed and there's a lot of supply on the market and they're not using it. I mean, it's not it's not because our economy is in a is is trouble. It's a it's in a global issue that is making things like energy prices, which are a major driver of inflation, not be a major driver of inflation right now. I mean, I, I think there's more of a worry that there are other internal factors that will create inflation. We, we're used to it coming from abroad. There, with us being the one sort of solid piece in the economy, the bigger concern, I would think, is that you can raise prices in the United States, but the global – you might see core being – core inflation, which excludes food and energy prices, actually going uh, up while – the headline goes down, in, in, which is a crazy thing that you never expect to happen, but it could conceivably happen in the United States because with more people having jobs and with the economy doing pretty well here, then people are going to be able to start raising prices and then you're going to see wages rise at the same time. And those things are going to probably happen not too far in the future when you have an, a, a labor market that's growing, which I think it is at this well, point. So my question is, when does a strong labor market supersede the low inflation readings. When when does it get to a point where the, the the jobs are growing at such a robust pace that the Fed almost has to do something, even though inflation is so shouldn't low? Shouldn't the two be combined? And so, shouldn't there be some sort of reciprocal relationship between the two? If the labor market is so good and we've all got jobs and we're doing great, you know, shouldn't there be some kind of show up in inflation? 
They can't even get it to 2%. Hey, Paul's not wrong. I mean, there you, you would expect there to be a, a, a run-up in inflation with growth being better and with jobs continuing to accelerate like this. You would think that there is some uh, inflationary forces there. Like I said, I suspect that it's probably because there are forces outside the United States. We are a very much global economy, especially when it comes to prices. And it makes imports cheap and a lot of our goods purchases come from imports. So if businesses don't have to raise prices, they're not going to. Um, you know, They're going to want more profits, obviously, but they also don't want to alienate customers. So it, I think it's very complicated, obviously, is the, the, the bottom line. <laughs> but there, there, there comes a point – where if job growth continues to be robust and growth continues or becomes more robust, mm-hmm. that's the other issue too, is that growth still isn't robust. It's good, but it's not robust. No. So, you know, I think there is room for there, for there not to be inflation and still having solid job growth, which is what we're seeing. And before we get to Buffett, Paul, I just want to talk to you about the, the market reaction here. I mean, the Dow is now up more than 200 points. The S&P is, is climbing up you know, more than 1% here. A very, very strong bullish day here. Of course, it's coming after the, well, the big I sell-off think, earlich, earlier this week. Right. So there's a lot of bounce back from that. But still, though, a very, very I, positive I, reaction I think, to this. I note. don't think the market was really particularly – I don't think the market right now is being driven by this jobs report, to tell you the truth. Because I think yesterday afternoon, you saw the market turn – Really, kind of on a dime. Uh, Dow was down 130 or so. No one knew it was going, and then you saw the market turn. Ended up flat. Uh, I just think I really think this is a lot. And again, the volume today is not very. I just think this is a lot well, of the volume yesterday was technical, actually pretty heavy. It, it was. It was. I mean, yeah, heavier. Right. Heavier. Than it's right. been I think right now like you're it. seeing a lot of technical moves within the market. I think this is a bounce back from some of the earlier selling. Uh, I don't. I'm not convinced yet that what you're seeing this afternoon is a fundamental move and that the market's out of the woods of this this sell-off that started a few weeks ago. I would agree ago. with that. You saw in the futures this morning before the jobs report, Dow futures were up about 100 points right. before the – so it was already set up to be yeah, a positive Yeah, I think they were day. set up for it. We had now, a, well, you know and, – and again, if this was such a great jobs report, wouldn't that translate into more pressure on the Fed to raise rates, which the market doesn't like? So why would the market be up? Well, that's you, actually the question I was just going to pose, are, yeah. which is – you know, may, does this mean that good news is actually good news for a change and that at least it wasn't bad enough? Right. That, I mean, like, w- how do we get at that? I mean, like, yeah, is the it- way you get at that is Jobs Friday is always good for stocks. And <laughs> it is unbelievable right. because now we had this stat on, on the Money Beat Live blog this morning. But uh, with today's gain now, this will mean that the S&P 500 has risen following 19 of the past 23 jobs reports. Wow. So wow, this, goes really? back, this goes back to late 2012, 19 of the past 23 jobs reports. That's unreal. The, the, market, That's just, the stock market has gone up, which yeah. is just a crazy – and in the middle of that, there was like a streak of you know 12 in a row or whatever it was. But I mean the point is is that – Does that include the taper tantrum? That, that includes the – No, but I mean not, were, the, were those the yeah. down weeks? The down months? I'm not sure exactly what, which months were the down months. Huh. It's possible. It, it's possible. But this is only on Jobs Day, right? Only it's on not, Jobs Day. It's right, not for right, the whole right, month. Yeah, yeah. But I just think it's – I think what's going on in the market right now is you are seeing a sell-off. Where it goes, how deep it goes, who knows. The large caps are faring better than the small caps and the, and the mid caps. Uh, commodities are still under tremendous pressure. That's what you were just getting at, Phil, about oil prices going down. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think that – trend is really played out. So I think what you're seeing today is a bounce off of some some hard selling and 
Yeah, look. So it makes our job so interesting, right? We get to come back on Monday and, and see where it all goes. <laughs> let's uh, let's switch gears a little bit. Eric Holm, want to talk about your page one story today. Nicely done on uh, Warren Buffett. There it is. There it is. <laughs> so Warren Buffett making moves again. Tell us uh, tell us about the latest. We bought a car dealership. He wants to sell you a car. He he already has a a railroad. He's got the the, the trains and he's got the planes because he owns this company called NetJets. Now he's got the automobiles. He's got the real estate. Right. He's got a lot of things. Is the thing, estate. and he yeah. and he likes to buy what he calls elephants, like make huge deals. And this was not one of those. But he's getting into a new industry that does not have any elephants. So he, it sounds like what he's going to do is create one because he, he I, I called it a car dealership but he, he bought the fifth largest chain of car dealerships or collection of car dealerships in in the country it was a closely held company so we don't know exactly what he paid but we had a few people speculating that might have been about three billion dollars which for buffett is really not that much mm-hmm. jump change um <laughs> but but why why car dealerships? Just in time for the subprime auto loan bubble, huh? <laughs> right. Yeah, right. Well, hey, uh, it sounds like what they may do is end up doing their own loans. You know that uh, it'll be Berkshire Capital that's uh, backing these loans. So if he gets into trouble, it's his own damn fault, essentially. <laughs> um, but uh, uh, yeah, and you know, selling the cars themselves is not actually an incredibly profitable business, but everything else that goes along with it, including the financing, um, has has become a, a pretty profitable uh, enterprise. And also, the car dealerships end up owning a lot of real estate. So there's a lot of things that work here. But what I thought interesting was interesting more than anything was the strategy of he, he can't find an elephant to buy. So he's essentially going to build one, um, which is what he said immediately upon announcing the deal, is that these people, this company, it's called Ventoil, apparently they have a good reputation. Um, you need to keep a good reputation when you're dealing with the automakers as, a, as a, someone who sells cars. Um, they have that. And, and they're going to you know, use them as the means to go out and buy up an incredibly fragmented industry where you know, there's so many you know, mom and pop um, dealers where they've they've spent their whole lives building up a dealership and now they've gotten to the point where they don't want to pass it on to their kids or their kids aren't interested or it did pass on for one generation but the next generation isn't interested and, and there's nowhere for them to go. And in fact, that's how Buffett has built a lot of Berkshire. He's bought a lot of companies from families um, and he's doing that on a smaller scale here. So is this Buffett the disruptor? Is <laughs> the Uber of? Uh, he's been disrupting is... for long before they ever had that term. But, yeah. You know what I think is really interesting about it is I, I've noticed in, in my neighborhood, in my neck of the woods in Jersey. I don't know if you guys have a, a lot of real estate signs now. Berkshire Hathaway Real Estate. You know they right. The kind of, right. So, and I just find it interesting for all the years that Buffett's been in business, you always knew his name. You always knew Berkshire Hathaway. But you never saw that name out in the world, out on storefronts, out on street corners. You know, he bought stakes in companies, but, you know, the company was Coca-Cola. The company was even Burlington Northern. So now I see these real estate signs out there, Berkshire Hathaway Real Estate. Now you're going to see an auto dealership. It seems like the strategy is changing for him from being this kind of, I don't want to say passive investor, but, you know, having his name more in the background and the company name in the background 
Is this a new strategy now where Berkshire Hathaway is going to be a, an active company? They're going to have their name on street corners, on signs, in people's faces? Is, is this a new tack? Well, you hit on something big there, Paul. The, the, um, i got to move the mic so I can see you. There you go. Hi, Eric. Hi. Hi. Um, there, there is a big parallel with what he's doing in real estate, which has really happened below the radar mm-hmm. mostly. Um, and also with what he's doing in the newspaper industry, where he went and bought – the Omaha World Herald a few years ago, and the the people there have helped him identify and find a bunch a bunch of community owned newspapers or local small newspapers. Uh, I shouldn't say community owned um, local small newspapers. And now the list of newspapers that Warren Buffett owns fills up an entire page in their annual report. Wow. It, that's happened in just a few years, mm-hmm. and. Even lower profile is what he's doing in the real estate industry, where he's going out and buying up these agencies. Right. And now Berkshire, in just a span of um, two, three years, maybe I would guess, they have 20,000 real estate agents, hmm. which is, is – is, that parallel I think is very strong with what they're happening – what's happening um, with what they hope to do with, yeah. the, with this car dealership thing. Um, but um, – but you're right on the name that they're using the Berkshire name a little bit with the the real estate. It's right, so right, right. low profile in Berkshire that, or not low profile, but it's it's such a small part of Berkshire that I I don't know for sure how widely that name is getting out there. I just don't know enough about the real right. estate operations to say. Um, and I don't know, or I don't know even if they've decided whether the Berkshire name would actually be on the car on dealerships. The car dealerships it, they yeah. are changing the name of this company that they just bought. To something like Berkshire Hathaway Automotive, yeah. Warren's I, World. Yeah. <laughs> Come on you know, down! Oh, oh, that this would be week, great. Warren's World. <laughs> Crazy Warren's. Yeah, you want zero percent financing? Look at zero percent financing. Yeah, yeah, I can totally see him coming to get a car and a Coke. Oh, he's First totally going to do that. Yeah. He's totally going to do that. <laughs> oh my God! Oh, that's going to be great. Oh, oh, <laughs> that's going to be. Post, he, yeah, he's born to be a car salesman. Oh yeah, yeah. But um, but uh, but uh, you do hit on a point though, Paul. Is that I do think more and more people know the Berkshire name, and right. um, I do wonder whether that was a conscious yeah, choice I wonder. to get the name out there more by by having and, a more consumer facing stuff. Because if you talk to what about what Berkshire owns, a lot of people don't know that they own right. Geico or that right. or that they own Dairy Queen or that they own you know uh, so many other things that are out there. They're everywhere. Yeah, and and I have to wonder, and I'm totally wondering, speculating. Everyone knows that Warren is not a 37 year old guy. Like, is is this kind of all part of the planning for the post Warren world? What do you do with this company? You know, it all every company has to deal with this. What do you do with the company when the guy who founded the company is gone? Is Such this succession planning? Yeah, yeah, is this kind of an idea to position the company for a day when Warren Buffett is no longer the face of it? I don't know. I'm just I, I, I wonder how that fits in because it, it, this would be such a small part into. of the company. Yeah. But it, it, it could be testing a strategy could be. on Buffett's watch that they could use afterwards. That's, yes. That's certainly true. Thank you for, thank you yeah. for you know, <laughs> entertaining my <laughs> Well, let me ask you, though, because you, know, you said it's about roughly a $3 billion deal. That's a very small that's, deal. We're, in, we're, we're essentially back of the envelope by looking at the size of AutoNation, the largest publicly traded one, looking at the revenues. Because that's the only data point we could immediately find on this company that they bought, and dividing by half because it has half the revenue. Got it. Got it. So what's what's the next big splash that uh, Mr. Buffett is going to make? Or I mean, obviously it's it's a guessing game at this point. But is there any sense of you know what industry he may be targeting? Well, I mean, you guys know better than I do about how stocks are 
I mean, there's a lot of deals happening this year, right? It's huge, yeah. It's M&A a huge M and A activity, and that is not the, the bubble, that is not the arena in which Warren Buffett thrives. Mm. You know, right? Um, he he doesn't like auctions, so I don't know if there is another big one that's happening, and if there yeah. is, it's not going to be something that's on our horizon um, at this point in time. This feels like the sort of environment where Warren Buffett will do a deal for a family-owned company. Mm-hmm. For you know, it could be even be a massive conglomerate like like Marmon, which he bought from the Pritzkers. Um, that, you know, I'm, so I'm not saying it's a small deal necessarily, but it 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 doesn't feel like the sort of environment where he can snap up a, a publicly traded company because he can pay way more than the stock's trading at now, but still be very comfortable with the price because that's the sort of deal he likes yeah, to do. Yeah, that's a great point. His last big splash was oh, Heinz. Well, yeah, that was that was a big one, and right. and of course uh, Burger, Burger King, King, Burger King, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's not like he's doing nothing, right? Right. But both of those, of course, were with 3G, the private equity company, and Berkshire only owns roughly half of them. Mm. Um, so uh, wait, no, do they get any equity stake in Burger King? I'm, I'm afraid I'm they blanking on the that. Financing on it? Do they get? I, I'm not sure. I'm embarrassed. No, they don't. I don't think they do. Yeah. Uh, I'm embarrassed. I don't. I can't immediately recall the whether they get an equity stake. Though they're, they're getting preferreds, right? Yeah, they're getting um, preferred. That's okay. Come on down to Warren's World this <laughs> week. We got cars. So Heinz was a big one. Uh, Lubrizol was a few years previous. That was a big one, and I'm sure we're leaving out a few in between there that were would be sizable to other people. And finally, to wrap up, the Giants, the New the York, San Francisco, the New no? York Football Giants, and the <laughs> oh, San Francisco yes. Giants. Actually, arguably more importantly, the San Francisco Giants. Thank you. Big games this weekend. Not, not in this studio, not right now. <laughs> but <laughs> Eric, no, Eric, how are you feeling about your San Francisco Giants? Oh, I love the San Francisco Giants. You saw me here with my San Francisco tie, my San Francisco <laughs> socks, and my San Francisco cufflinks when they were playing their one-game playoff against Pittsburgh earlier this week, um, which went very well. A great eight-nothing victory. Yeah, Smack I have to say though, Pittsburghians, the Washington Nationals are an excellent team. They are. They are. That's f- they're a, a fun one. team. Producer says no. What? 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 Yeah. Survey Mets. says no. I'm, I'm a Mets fan. I can never agree what? with that thing. <laughs> oh, never. <laughs> You're never going to agree that the You're also Nats never going to see your team. team in the playoffs again. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, Russo Lillo is <laughs> a Mets fan, too. <laughs> yeah. You guys can be quiet. Uh, we can talk about how the Nats are a fun, Nats, fun team. Nats are a good team. It's hard to... To see a way that the Giants win that's not a hard-fought five-game series. This has been Money Beat Week. We have the uh, the always faithful New York Giant fan, Paul Vigna, the San Francisco Giant fan, Eric Holm, and Phil Izzo. This is Steve Russolillo. Thanks so much for joining. Go Giants! The Claude 3 model family by Anthropic is your one-stop shop for enterprise AI. Haiku is lightning fast and cost-effective. Sonnet strikes the perfect balance between skills and speed. And Opus sets new industry benchmarks for intelligence. Learn more at anthropic.com slash Claude.